The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. What is the best outcome of this to you? We create real change. And by that, you know, it's not policies. I don't want any fluff here. That's, that's not what we're looking for. You just went through the Rooney that. Rule you know, that charade. This is not about fluff. We, we, we need real change. We need, and that to me starts with, that starts here in your heart. Yeah. Um, and, and you only get that through conversation, through dialogue, through communication. Just one little slice of the various media appearances yesterday from former Dolphins coach Brian Flores the morning after his landmark bombshell, unprecedented, and none of that's hyperbolic. It's all serious. It's all legitimate. His lawsuit that we have never seen before against the NFL alleging racial discrimination, chronicling the discriminatory reality of the NFL when it comes to race for years. It's a history lesson in the middle of this lawsuit and On top of everything else, the stunning allegation that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, offered Brian Flores $100,000 per loss in 2019. We're going to be talking about that and other things today. We spent a lot of time on the Flores situation yesterday with Peter King because it was new. It was fresh. There's still a lot to discuss, and we have a new perspective on it today. He's back from the studios of Pardon My Take. He is Big Hat. Welcome back. Belated happy birthday. I, let, me, I, let me be among the last to wish you a happy birthday. I appreciate that. <laughs> I was looking down on my uh, phone when you started the intro there because I was tweeting out that I'm live on Peacock for the next two hours and I'm going to be nice to Mike Florio, my good friend, my dear, dear friend for the next two hours. I'm excited to be back. It's nothing but uh, gumdrops and lollipops and candy okay. everywhere for the next two hours. Let me just say this. First of all, on behalf of the management at Peacock, thank you very much for calling it Peacock, first of all. Secondly, it's not just Peacock. It's Sirius XM 85 and Sky Sports NFL, where we have 
a large following of folks in the U.K. and Ireland who love NFL football, who don't get the kind of access and information that the American sports fan takes for granted. So welcome to them as well. They're, they get to see it later. Though. We're in prime time, prime time, 7 p.m. local time. So they will see it eventually, but see it they will. And we have plenty to get to. But 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 happy birthday! I'm I'm glad you know I'm glad you're doing well. You look good. You got your your children now. You're 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 fully developing into an American dad. And yeah, yeah it's, it's an nice adult, an adult, a, a father of many. Because there's a lot of uh, kids that I have to take care of at work every day. Also, shout out to people on Sirius XM 85. That was our old station. So if you were in a coma until this exact moment. And you're hearing my voice, and you're like, whoa, did Barcel not give up their radio station? Well, we did, but we're back here uh, with, with Florio. And you know how Twitter is. The first time that I tweeted that the show is on SiriusXM85, I got responses, hey, dumbass, that's Barstool's channel. It's like, yep. oh, okay, <laughs> all right, whatever you say. What happened? Well, I don't know. You probably don't want to go down. Sirius probably doesn't want us to go down that rabbit hole. But regardless, regardless, uh, here we are. Back on Sirius XM85 is Big Cat, and uh, we, we trudge our way through the next two hours. The, the, the Flores situation is going to continue to grow and evolve and spark storylines that weren't part of the original lawsuit. I still have a list of issues that I want to get to with blurbs at PFT coming straight from the lawsuit itself. And I can't get to them because there's more stuff that's happening. And one of the things that happened yesterday, Bobby L. Rush, a longtime member of the House of Representatives, a Democrat from Illinois, your favorite state in the union, Mm -hmm. has asked for a hearing to be held on the issue of systemic discrimination in the National Football League. Now, It doesn't mean a hearing will happen, but it is one member of Congress who is appealing to the chairperson of the committee he belongs to, a committee that has jurisdiction over sports in the United States, to take action and to take a look at this. And it took one day. The Washington football team situation percolated for weeks, if not months, until Congress finally realized there may be something going on here with this workplace misconduct and how the NFL investigated and brushed stuff under the rug. We should probably take a look at it. It took months for that to happen. It took one day for this to start. And it doesn't surprise me, and I think it's just the beginning of the things Congress is going to be interested in. Mike, let's do this real quick. Uh, it's not a, it's a fun little game because I, I was in transit all day yesterday, so I missed a lot of the news. Uh, can we do a quick refresher for the people at home where I can ask a question and you can tell me because people, you know, hop in this story at various spots and I'm, I'm like wondering where exactly everything is. So obviously the, 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 the text messages from Bill Belichick, the Rooney rule, that's something that's needed to be fixed for a very long time in the NFL. I think we all can agree that the Rooney rule in principle, when it was created was a very good idea. And, it, you know, there's probably some good that came from it, but there's some clear loopholes and, and flaws in it that we see brought to light when Brian Flores goes to basically what, what, what we all assume now is was a sham interview with the Giants so they can check that box. That part makes sense to me. Where is it? Where are we at with the Stephen Ross part? Because to me, that like is a story that could potentially bring the NFL to its knees in a way, 
if an owner is actually paying for losses, it, it's it's mind blowing. You know, tanking exists in sports, but for something like that to happen, and if it's ever proven true, it's incredible. Like I said, the Rooney Rule needs to be fixed, and and the racism that that comes in the hiring process. I think everyone knows it, and it's got to be fixed. And I'm happy Brian Flores is is looks like he's going to shine a light on what we all knew was an issue. So where does that all stand now? Well, and let's put a pin in the Stephen Ross tanking side of it because that's become the primary issue that is unrelated to the reason that he filed the lawsuit. But it's like the TV show that had the spinoff and the spinoff has become bigger than the TV show that spawned it. I feel like the spinoff of the Brian Flores lawsuit is potentially going to become a bigger deal for the NFL, even though, even though the lawsuit itself is a pretty damn big deal. And was long overdue. You mentioned the Rooney Rule. Quick, quick history lesson. The Rooney Rule 20 years ago was the product of the threat of potential litigation. Two lawyers, Cyrus Mary, the late Johnny Cochran, came together and said to the NFL, hey, if if you guys don't do something about this abysmal, and there's no arguing it, it is an abysmal track record of hiring black coaches. You need to do something about it or we will. So it was the credible threat of litigation that got the NFL to come up with what was initially a very simple requirement. One minority candidate must be interviewed for every head coaching vacancy. Over time, the loopholes resulted in changes aimed at preventing teams from circumventing it. For example, for example, when Jerry Jones hired Bill Parcells to coach the Cowboys, he did a perfunctory phone call to Dennis Green, the former Vikings coach who had not yet been hired by the Cardinals and interviewed him that way. And then everybody says, oh, you, know, you, can't, you can't comply by just calling a guy up. You gotta, it's got to be face-to-face. So like over time, there would be efforts by teams to get around it and they'd have to plug the loopholes so it would become a meaningful opportunity. And the idea was the more that guys get interviews – the more that their name gets in circulation, the more opportunities they get to interview. It becomes a a, a snowball that builds and builds and eventually they get jobs. That was was the idea because you can't force these teams to hire anyone. So the Flores lawsuit, it's a combination of the macro and the micro. The macro is what what, what we know. The, The track record is abysmal. Troy Vincent, the NFL executive VP of football operations, is on the record with quotes that... You know, I used to practice law, I used to handle cases like this. If I'm handling a case like this, they're hard to prove. Nobody's going to admit to anything. You have to use circumstantial evidence. You have to aggressively question people. You have to hope that they break at the right time. You have to hope you can catch them in some sort of an inconsistency. But when you have words straight from the mouth of a top executive of the organization saying things like the system is broken, there's a double standard, that makes my job a lot easier. So th- that that part of it, the extent to which there were sham interviews, whether with the Broncos in 2019, the Giants in 2021, whether or not there is evidence that black coaches get paid less than their white counterparts, whether or not they're held to a higher standard than their counterparts once they get those jobs. That's all part of the racial discrimination side of it. And, you know, Big Cab, yesterday, Peter King and I were talking about this. And as we worked our way through it, I came to the conclusion, I want your thoughts on this. The NFL consists of $32 billion football operations. One of them is publicly owned. 
even though the stock is worthless. It's publicly owned. There's a board of directors. There's a CEO, et cetera. The other 31, it's a really rich guy who does whatever he wants all the time. Or a really rich person. There are more females who are involved in ownership. But you're talking about the American oligarchs who have amassed tremendous wealth, who have super yachts, who own companies, who have a bunch of sycophants around them saying, hey, great idea, boss, all the time. They do what they want to do. And, oh, yeah, the NFL's got these policies and the NFL's got this desire to develop. But I'm ultimately going to do what I want to do. I think at some point. All the teams need to be corporations, or at least run like corporations. You need to have boards of directors with diverse representation of the community in which the team resides on the actual board of directors. You need to have committees responsible for corporate governance. You need to have checks and balances to prevent what ultimately, look, the the road to proving the connection from we're looking for a coach and the vast majority of the time the coach that's hired is white. Like, it, it, it's hard to find the smoking gun, but you find the dead body. So you know there's a problem. And I think the problem ultimately is it's guy who made a lot of money in real estate, guy who made a lot of money in, in auto parts, guy who, or, or, or person who inherited team from really rich family member and really doesn't know what the hell he or she is doing. That's got to change before the fundamental problem is going to change, I think. So how would that happen, though? Because, I mean, I, you know, I don't know these owners. I don't know any of them personally. But I do know someone who has that type of money and that type of power is not going to just give it up. They're not going to say, oh, this is something I want to do. I mean, when you think about sports ownership in general, it is a toy for a lot of very rich people that are like, this is the last you know, thing that you can do where you can have insane importance and everyone in the community in the city looks up to you and, and says, oh, there goes the owner. And for a lot of them, especially when it comes to the, you know, America, it's the NFL. The NFL is the most lucrative league. It's the league that gets the most eyeballs. So if you get one of those 32 seats, like we see how hard it is to even get, I mean, we're going to get to it, I think. But, like, Dan Snyder's been an owner, and he's not going to stop being an owner. And there's a lot of things that could have probably stopped him from being an owner along the way, and he has been able to keep that spot. So I just I, – I like what you're saying in principle. I just don't know practicality. Like, how does that actually work out? Well, the practicality is the NFL gets to the point where it throws its hands in the air and says – this just doesn't work anymore. We've been sued by this guy. We've been sued by this guy. We can't fix it no matter how many times we're brought to the light of day for these hiring practices. They're not getting any better. The other side of it, though, and the first thought of potential corporate ownership in the NFL came to me a few years back. I was talking to an owner about how the values of teams are going up and up and up and the proliferation of gambling is making the values go up and up. And the average team is going to be worth 8 to $10 billion sooner than we realize. You're going to find that there's no suitable person with the money to comply with the NFL's rule that the controlling owner has to have 30%. you got to have the cash to buy 30%. you got to have the cash to run the team. There just aren't enough oligarchs to go around. That could be part of it that spurs this and what it could be is one team at a time has an ipo wouldn't that be something 
Pittsburgh Steelers have an initial public offering. You can buy real stock, not fake stock, not fake stock that you just get a certificate and you put it on your wall and you say, oh, I, I can now say we, and it doesn't mean I'm walking around with a mouse in my pocket. It means I'm part of this. You, you, you get real stock that you can buy and sell and that it appreciates. It's like any other corporation. And it may start one team at a time. It may start with the Broncos. Maybe the Broncos can't find somebody who's going to fork over the $4 billion or whatever they want for their team. Maybe they, maybe they decide to pull the plug on this, especially with them being one of the named defendants in this lawsuit. Maybe they decide we're just going to have an initial public offering. We're not even going to sell it. Now, 24 of 32 owners would have to agree to change the model and allow it, but the Packers have been that way for 100 years. So, you know, maybe we kind of trip over plutonium by accident as a result of this, but... Uh, that that's that's the way to fix the problem and it may solve a lot of other problems that are looming for the nfl it's an interesting thought i still am very skeptical just because i don't know who's gonna sell like you said the the price goes up and up and up i mean what was so we obviously had the panthers situation what was the last time a team was sold just because the the owner just didn't want to own it anymore what was that? Like, there's been deaths. There's been, you know, families have shifted. And, and, and the Panthers, like, what was the last time it was an outright, I don't really want to own this team anymore? Pete mentioned to me, and I think he's right, Wayne Weaver, the founder of the Jaguars, sold to Shad Khan 10 years ago. So these teams don't change hands very often. Oh, oh the Browns in 2012, yep. Jimmy Haslam bought Jimmy the Browns. Haslam. He's found himself mired in this. Steven Ross got on the scene just a couple of years before Shad Khan. You know, there was a lot of movement a, a decade or so ago, but the teams have been but, pretty yeah, much that's, consistent yeah, the since then. But, but yeah. it would have to happen one team at a time. First of all, you got to change the rule to allow corporate ownership of NFL franchises, other than the Packers. It's too late to put the toothpaste back in the tube on the Packers because the, the public shares are all over the place. They're not going to go buy them up. It's done. It's over. They will always be publicly owned, even though they're not publicly traded. But if the NFL changes its business model, that's when, for example, the Broncos could say, we're just going to have an initial public offering and we're going to become a corporation. And then maybe someday, and it usually happens when family doesn't have the money to pay the estate taxes after the patriarch or the matriarch of the family dies, or there's no one in the family that really wants to do this. When the, the bills were sold. To Terry and Kim Pagula, that's happened. That that's one of the more recent ones. That's since Shad Khan and Jimmy Haslam. Yeah, like that's a death. Ralph, right. Ralph Wilson dies. Ralph Wilson dies. Nobody in the family wants to run the team, so they sell it to the highest bidder. That was when some high-profile individuals were trying to buy the Buffalo Bills. Whether or not their actual assets matched what they claimed is a different story altogether. But. But that would have been an occasion to say, you know what? We're just going to have an initial public offering. We're going to make this a corporation if it was a permissible business structure. So it's not something that would happen with stock in all teams available to be purchased the same day. It would be one at a time, and it would migrate that way over the next 50 years or longer. And you'd have some that are publicly owned and some that are privately owned. But I'll tell you what, once the publicly owned corporations that are NFL teams start showing the rest of the league how to do it properly. Maybe that would force the privately owned businesses to change too. Now, now my, my mind simply just goes to one spot. Like I'm just thinking of it, you know, selfishly my own life, 
like what, how much it would stink to not only watch a bad product on the field, but also have your team's tr- stock trading at like four dollars. <laughs> that's definitely going to be part of it, right? Like the Bears are trading at seven dollars, whereas the Patriots and the Rams are trading at a buck fifty. And I'm just sitting there like, well, this stinks again. So yeah, I mean. Just another humiliation for for all the bad franchises. I like that. But, you know, another extension of the concept of gambling. If you don't want to place your bets during games, you can place your bet the way that rich folks have been placing bets for years. Yeah. Go play the stock market. So I I think there's a – and it's funny. I'm saying all of this understanding the chances of it happening are extremely small, but at the same time – it makes a crap load of sense. It really does that this is a way to solve these problems because at the end of the day, it is American oligarch who is used to always getting his way. One of the privileges of being really rich is you don't even have to ask. The people around you are so in tune with what you want. You never have to even say or you shouldn't have to say, boy, I'd really like it if you'd go lose those games so we can draft Joe Burrow next year. That, that's how coddled and insulated and powerful these people are. And I don't know that it's conducive to operating a business in a way that complies with all federal, state, and local civil rights laws. Yeah. I mean, it's a very interesting idea. And, and you're right. Like, the, I feel awful for Brian Flores just reading those text messages because I just think about, like, his initial – you know, you get good news and you're like, oh, man, this is going to be incredible. The Giants really want me. He's from Brooklyn or, or I mean, maybe the Bronx. But either way, having that then shoe drop as soon as Bill Belichick realizes that he's, oh, yeah, a 70-year-old man who doesn't really know how to use technology, uh, it's it's terrible. And And you're right. Like, it does need to change. I don't know how it changes under the current structure because rich, really rich people who have been rich for a very long time get to do whatever they want, whenever they want, and no one can tell them different. And we're at a point where someone's, you know, there's going to be some pushback, but if I had to put my money on it, the rich guys will probably win this round, and then we'll go to another round, and then we'll go to another round. You know what I mean? So it's a slow, slowly but surely kind of thing where you'll you'll slowly get the push that maybe you get to in 100 years, Mike Florio's idea. I like that. Well, and the reality is that when they finally have their reckoning, after doing whatever they feel like doing, whatever they choose to do, regardless of whether or not it tramples on the rights of others or complies with all applicable laws, whether criminal or civil, when they finally have their reckoning, they say to themselves, I got off a lot easier than I should have. And and, yeah. and I'll write the check, and there's plenty more where that came from. I mean, re- really, yeah. that's the attitude. So it, it's going to require that's that, that's the a perfect storm story. of controversies. That, yeah. 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 And that's, he, that's, he got that's two million plus. With a check. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What a humiliation. What an embarrassment. I'm going to sell the team and walk away with over two billion dollars. And people got mad about that. It's like, what, what 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 do you expect? You force him to sell the team. It's not a it's not a, a, a you, we're not taking the organization from him. The worst they can do is force someone to sell. So, yeah, if Stephen Ross would be forced to sell at some point, he gets to keep the money that comes from the sale of the team. But um, I, I, I think that this makes sense from the standpoint of, and, and maybe this is the moment that it happens, between 
the Rooney rule, the hiring side of it, and the part we're going to pivot to now, which has ramifications as it relates to the integrity of the game, as it relates to the integrity of the wagering on the game, the allegation. And, you know, I... One of the things you got to convince a jury in a racial discrimination lawsuit or any lawsuit based upon hiring or firing on protected characteristics or retaliation because somebody reported a safety violation or whatever and they became known as a troublemaker. So now, you know, this person's gone. We just got to come up with a reason to get rid of them. You have to convince somebody that the motivating factor was the protected characteristic. And what seems a little clumsy to me as you look at this lawsuit is the idea that okay, you can, you can make a pretty good case that there's a racial bias baked into ownership of NFL teams. But when you say the owner wanted me to lose games deliberately in 2019, and I said no, and he offered me $100,000 per loss, and I said no, and that made him not like me, that's not a racial bias. That's my employee isn't doing the thing that I want him to do. Now, it's possible, it's possible, and it depends upon the laws of the given state. I know in West Virginia, you would be able to craft together an argument that by virtue of standing up to a request that you violate federal law, the retaliation against you for that, if you became known as the troublemaker who had to go, you'd have a separate legal right. And maybe he'll amend his complaint at some point to craft a separate theory that he... He took a stand, and under Florida public policy, he should not be ejected in whole or in part because of that. But it is a separate thing altogether. And it makes me wonder why they brought it out now, other than to get attention to the lawsuit and, hey, hang the banner, mission accomplished. Because that's gotten more attention as time goes by than the other side of it. We've known about the other side of it. We've known about that problem for years. We didn't know about this other thing. And this other thing's a pretty big deal too. Yes, yes, and it's um, yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating how it all plays out because it does feel like, on on paper, it feels like this could be a big shift for the NFL and one of those things that we look back and like, ooh, that was something that was very significant in retrospect. Let's hear from Brian Flores from one of the various interviews that he did yesterday regarding the allegation that Stephen Ross offered him. per loss in the season that was supposed to result in the Dolphins ending up with the number one overall pick. Speaking to John's point on, you know, what we we deem as bridge coaches uh, who come in and um, don't really get the resources. um, Those are oftentimes the jobs that, you know, black minority coaches get. Um, um, It's unfortunate, but that's what it is. And uh, I, I stepped into a situation like that. And you know, to me, I, you know, I accepted that challenge. Um, I believe in my, my abilities as a coach, as a leader, as a motivator. Um, so I was up for that challenge. And um, unfortunately, um, I was asked to, um, to, to not put my best foot forward and best effort um, to, to, to win ballgames, um, to tank. And um, look, this game has done a lot for me. It really has. Um, it's 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 open doors that would have never been open for me, and that's that's the case not just for me. That's a, that's 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 a a lot of our players, a lot of the players in in, in our league have have uh, have that same story, um, and I think that's that's part of the reason why I relate so well to players. Um, so to disrespect the game is just 
it's something I, I wouldn't stand for. And ultimately, uh, that, that strains some relationships in Miami. So Brian Flores has made it very clear in the lawsuit and throughout his media tour yesterday that he was offered $100,000 to lose games deliberately to enhance the draft status of the Dolphins in 2020. As the day went on, it started to become more clear what the ramifications of this were. I was on Dan Abrams' show on Sirius XM POTUS 124, and he brought up something I hadn't thought of. Because I'm thinking, hey, if this is true, Ross has to sell his team. He's out. He's done. He's kicked out of Club Oligarch. There's a federal law, the Sports Bribery Act, and Abrams brought this to my attention, and I did the research, and it's like, you know what? This, this applies, and it doesn't have to just be an offer that's accepted. It can just be an offer that's made, even if it is resisted and ultimately rejected. Up to five years. Now, Stephen Ross is not going to do a perp walk on the wrong side of 80, but he could be prosecuted. There could be a prosecutor out there. I've had this conversation with people in the league before. One of the things they quietly are concerned about is an ambitious prosecutor has jurisdiction over something that lands on his or her radar screen and convenes a grand jury that nobody knows about and starts gathering evidence. And the next thing you know, indictments fly. And you don't know any of it, typically, often, until the indictments happen. This is gift-wrapped. This is gift-wrapped. If you believe Brian Flores... This is a gift-wrapped case of violation of the Sports Bribery Act. Now, Hugh Jackson kind of chimed in and suggested the Browns were doing similar things. It's not as clean and simple and credible, frankly, as the Flores allegation. And uh, it, it invites, it almost cries out for a prosecutor somewhere to start looking into this. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And this is one of those things that I think if, if it's proven true, will rock sports for a very long time because you like you just said the, there there's you know federal laws that can be brought up here there's the gambling aspect of it where where gambling has become legalized across america and you have someone potentially trying to fix a game like this is this has happened in european soccer and, they, and they've had very big issues i know italy has had very big issues with that no offense mike florio but it's it's a very very serious allegation that's thrown out there and i also wonder if adam gase is like i could have I could have stayed and made millions because I would have just kept losing with the Dolphins. <laughs> well, there right? are plenty of coaches out there. There are plenty of coaches out there who would say, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that I could get extra money for doing what I was doing for free. Plenty of, right. plenty of coaches would, would uh, be able to, to fit their foot into that shoe. Now, as the day went on, it, it got more interesting. Because late afternoon, Cameron Wolf of NFL Network, the media conglomerate, partially owned by all of the owners. So Stephen Ross holds paper on NFL Network. Cameron Wolf says he's spoken to a witness who heard the offer from Flores or from Ross to Flores. He, uh, th- listen, when, when if you're a prosecutor. You understand, I got a high standard of proof here. I got proof beyond a reasonable doubt. I got if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. I, you know, if it's just this guy's word versus this guy's word, reasonable doubt's all over the place. You start bringing in other people to say, oh, yeah, I heard it too. All of a sudden, the glove fits. 
And, and it was astounding to me that of all of the media outlets in the world that could have added that nugget, that very important tiebreaker to the mix, it was the one that Ross partially owns. I, I f- literally fell out of my chair, but that has something to do with my overall clumsiness. It was unrelated, but I fell out of my chair when I saw that. That that is crazy. I mean, this again. I, I'm I'm floored by this. If it's true, um, there's also another uh, side story here, Mike, that I wanted to just discuss real quick. I feel bad for Tua because every story that comes out is essentially we 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 didn't want Tua so badly uh, that we were trying to throw games for a hundred thousand dollars. There was a story a few weeks ago, or maybe last week, where it was like we were ready to trade like six draft picks just to get Joe Burrow. And a lot of this is hindsight. Whenever you see a quarterback have success in a similar draft class, a lot of times people will scurry to, to their own and be like, oh, well, we were thinking about drafting this guy. Of course we wanted him. Uh, but I just – I always think back to two is like every story has like a link to him just being like, we really don't like this guy. But the reality is it started as Tank for Tua. When he broke yeah, his I know. hip, that's when the Tua train ended – And that's when Ross started to fall in love with Joe Burrow. And because Mike Brown, the owner of the Bengals, refused to ever even listen to what Stephen Ross was willing to put on the table to go from five to one, Ross got no shot at the guy he wanted. And I think, I personally think, as Joe Burrow got better and better and became a superstar through 2021, that that helped Ross become receptive to the idea of firing Brian Flores is because it's pissing him off. Hey, I own the team. This is what I wanted. Why should I have to tell anybody? Why should I have to offer anybody a hundred thousand dollars? I should just have to tell him this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. I want to lose games this year strategically because I want the first pick next year. How hard is that to understand Brian Flores or anyone else? I'm not saying it's right, but that's the attitude. That's the mindset. So there went big cat. We'll have to get big cat back. I was going to tell big cat. Uh, that was quick. That was sudden. Uh, what so happened? he doesn't want Am to I talk about here? this. Here he is. We, we still hear you. We'll get we'll get the visual back. B- B- Big Cat, you, you'll be back in a second. I got something funny to tell you, though. Last night, I wrote a story about Stephen Ross's statement. We'll get to that in a second. Then I wrote a story about how the real problem here is the NFL incentivizes tanking by the way that it structures the draft. The worse you are the higher level of dibs you have on the incoming players. And usually how it works is you realize at some point in November or December, we suck. So we're not going to make the playoffs. Well, why are we trying to win these games? We're only hurting ourselves. Now, let's go ahead and be as bad as we can. Let's evaluate our young players, and let's try to get dibs. And the only real smoking gun we have in that regard, the closest thing to a smoking gun, is the last game of the 2014 season when the Buccaneers were playing the Saints, leading by 11 at halftime. 21-10 to 10 was the score, I think. Lovey Smith, coach of the Bucs at the time, pulled all the starters. And I know the Saints were like, what the hell's going on here? And the starters who weren't pulled were like, what the hell's going on here? Why, why are we the ones who were left? What, what does that say about us? And the next thing you know, the Saints win. The Buccaneers lose. The Buccaneers win. The Buccaneers get the first overall pick in the draft. And I made the comment last night that because they did it to get Jameis Winston, the punishment kind of fits the crime in hindsight. So what? The, the Jameis Winston, the, I, I, I know, I know that was for you, but the Jameis Winston guy on Twitter that is all in with Jameis Winston is, is, is after me now. 
because I dared to because make a snip, a flip it. Jameis one for one. Yeah. I made a flip it remark about Jameis Winston. Because you're wrong. Jameis Winston, statistically speaking, is a future Hall of Famer, Mike. You don't follow. I feel like I'm talking to your cohort, Chris Sims, who got mad at me when I joined Tuanon. He texted me. He's like, I can't believe you've joined Tuanon. I was like, expect us, Chris. We're here. So, yeah, Jameis is an unbelievable quarterback. I, 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 I think that's I way off by you. I know that with Ben Roethlisberger now retired, Jameis Winston has assumed – the mantle of the most entertaining quarterback in all of football that we must protect at all costs and must be playing for some team every Sunday, Monday, and Thursday in the fall. But anyway, it was meant for you, and that Jameis one of one, whoever that is, was after me like minutes later after I made that oh, remark, yeah. buried in a thousand-word article. In a parenthetical, it's like nobody's even going to notice this. But uh, but anyway, that that's the only instance of tanking that – I think we can say, yeah, that's what happened. It's usually more subtle. It's usually more deliberate from the standpoint of it happens slowly. The fingerprints aren't there. The fingerprints were all over that one. So uh, this one, if Flores is telling the truth, it's horrible for Stephen Ross. It's horrible for the NFL. And initially, Ross didn't have anything to say. At the end of the day yesterday, late last night, actually, it was around like midnight when the statement came out from Ross. Here he is. With regards to the allegations being made by Brian Flores, I'm a man of honor and integrity and cannot let them stand without responding. I take great personal exception to these malicious attacks, and the truth must be known. His allegations are false, malicious, and defamatory. We understand there are media stating that the NFL intends to investigate his claims, and we will cooperate fully. I welcome the investigation, and I am eager to defend my personal integrity and the integrity and values of the entire Miami Dolphins organization from these baseless, unfair and disparaging claims. There's some strong language in there, and I can't help but wonder whether or not Stephen Ross is going to sue Brian Flores for defamation for making this allegation. Now, there are privileges that apply to things said in the context of litigation. Stephen Ross is a public figure. It's a higher standard for him. But I almost feel like he's thinking, I have to go on the offensive as a way to defend myself against this claim because this claim is so strong. If I do nothing, people are going to think, oh, he's not saying anything. He must be guilty. Yeah, and I, I, the witness part I didn't know that you told me about the NFL Network because this to me always felt like one of those stories that Stephen Ross, he might be dumb enough to do this, right? Like he might be dumb enough to, to actually tell Brian, Brian Flores, if you lose, I'll give you $100,000. I do not think he's dumb enough to put it in any way that is in writing, that is traceable. You know, like, so it always felt like it was going to be a he said, he said kind of situation where it's like, how do we prove this? There's really no way. There's no trace. He probably said it in a passing glance to him or like pulled him into his office. But obviously what you just said, the witness, the witness changes things. As an aside, I can never read these um, statements anymore without my my brain has been warped by the internet thinking that it's going to be a troll and go to the, the, and then there's a deep drive to left by Castellanos. Like that's, I started reading that and my eyes glazed over. Um, that's just internet poisoning, folks. My brain is completely like it's Swiss cheese. The, the gambling angle here is also very important. You've mentioned it a couple of times, but I, I've, I've done a little research back to 2019. There were roughly six states, Pennsylvania and West Virginia among them, that had legalized wagering in the 2019 NFL season. Others were coming online during the season. But – how long until 
there are class actions filed in each of those states where gambling was legal on behalf of anyone who bet on the Dolphins to win and lost. And in any state where electronic betting is happening, it shouldn't be hard to recreate the slips. But but that that doesn't make sense because the the what Brian Flores is contesting is he did not do this so he did not take the bribe he did not throw this game so it'd be hard unless someone else comes out and a player comes out and says oh yeah Stephen Ross offered me money and I threw the game um, I don't know how you would it seems like Brian Flores said no and then played the game straight up and a lot of these games they ended up winning so it would be even more difficult because. Basically, what he's asking you to do, you did not do. You went a, 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 like 100% against it and won the game. I think if we go back to the 2019 season week by week and look at how it unfolded, because it was on my radar screen going into the season because I had reason to believe they were doing the full season tank for the first time. Rather than pivot to tanking, embracing the suck, as Jared Allen once said on PFT Live when the Vikings were 3-13, and instead of saying in late November, early December, hey, we're just going to put our third stringers in and let nature take its course and rise up in the draft standings. I believe Stephen Ross entered 2019 knowing my team isn't good enough. We're not going to be competitive. We're not going to contend for a playoff spot. Let's do the full season tank. And early on, they were. And remember, 59 to 10, right out of the gates, they got destroyed by the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. And then after a couple weeks of it, that's when Micah Fitzpatrick was like, get me the hell out of here. Because that's one of the things that you overlook when you strategically tank, especially during the portion of the season when everyone is still in it. You're going to piss off a lot of your players if they think there isn't maximum effort being given by everyone involved from the top of the organization to the bottom to try to win football games. Fitzpatrick wanted out. Others wanted out. And I think at some point, Brian Flores, if he was going along with it. See, the problem is, He's putting his hand really close to this fire by making this allegation because it's possible, it's possible, depending upon when the offer was made, it's possible he was okay with the strategic plan. This is our plan. This is our strategy. And there may be other evidence of it to back it up. The plan was to lose and win later. Lose now, win later. And my, my point is, Ross's offer to Flores may not be the only evidence. It may just be part of the of the story. And I think it's enough, it's enough to justify an ambitious lawyer who wants to catch a tiger by the tail and pull as hard as he or she can. You get one person who placed that bet on the Dolphins anytime they lost that year, especially early in the year. Especially early in the year. And you you have a class action on behalf of all those individuals. And you know what? Why, why even do it state by state? The first one, the race to the courthouse, the first lawyer who gets the client, nationwide class action, federal court nationwide class action of all of the people who wagered money on the Dolphins to win or to cover the spread. And uh, you, you could be the lead plaintiff if you wanted to. You probably bet some money on the Dolphins to win or, or cover at some point that year. I probably did, but I also think, like, I'm just looking at it right now. I don't – I mean, we'll see. I, I, I guess we'd have to we'd have to see how it all, like, plays out. But they had some close games. Like, they got blown out in the beginning of the season. They got blown out by the Ravens, which you just said. They got blown out by the Patriots 43-0 and then the, then the uh, Cowboys and the, and the uh, Chargers. 
But then they started playing a lot of competitive games. I'm just looking at, and I don't know what the point spreads were, but I would imagine they finished the season uh, pretty decent against the spread because they lost by, you know, one to Washington, 10 to Buffalo, uh, and then they won a bunch of games. So, and then one to the Jets. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I support any gambler who thinks they've been wronged. Let's just say that. That is, that's absolutely my stance. But I just think that's going to be a very tough thing to prove. Look at the first four games, though, and maybe it was at the bye week when Brian Flores decided, I can't in good conscience go along with this. Remember, there were questions about who the quarterback's going to be. Is it going to be Josh Rosen? Is it going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick? At one point, Flores said, it's Josh Rosen rest of the year. Josh Rosen, rest of the year. The guy that they got from the Cardinals after the Cardinals gave up on him and they got Kyler Murray and see you later, even though you were the 10th overall pick in the draft in 2018. Flores said, Rosen's our guy the rest of the year. In the very next game, Rosen got benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Fitzpatrick was the guy. And I'd have to recreate that timeline and see. But my point is this. He may have unwittingly pulled the pin on a grenade that's going to get some shrapnel on him because if there's a lawyer out there who is crafting a class action, he's going to look or she's going to look for everything. And it gives you license to start digging into stuff that isn't available to us publicly. What, whatever happened at meetings, whatever was said here, whatever documentation there may be, if they reduce to writing a broader strategic plan of how they're going to improve the team by taking their lumps in the short term. That's kind of what the Browns were doing, I think, with the stuff Hugh Jackson said yesterday and then tried to backtrack. It wasn't about deliberately losing. It was about deliberately, you know, not having a very good team for now in the hopes of developing a better team later through draft picks and whatnot. But I, I I just think that there's enough smoke there to justify an effort. And you're operating under the, the premise that you have an owner who is motivated to lose. When the owner of a billion-dollar football operation who has final say on everything is trying to encourage Brian Flores to lose, it could be he was trying to get Brian Flores back on track and to re-embrace a strategy that worked. They were 0-7. It was working until they beat the Jets, and then they beat the Colts. And that, that's November. The first two months of the season, the let's lose all of our game strategy was playing out to perfection by 0-7 imperfection. So all, all I'm saying is, in this day and age, with legalized gambling, because if gambling wasn't legalized, what are you going to do? You're going to have a class action on behalf of all the illegal bettors out there? No, it goes nowhere. Now that it's legal, you create an incentive for someone to do this. And I said yesterday, I suspect the first class action is going to be filed by the end of the week. I, I won't be surprised if it is. Uh, I'll be surprised if it isn't because there's incentive being the first one because you, the, the earlier you do it, the more likely you are to emerge from all the class actions that may get filed as being the one who's in charge of everything, like what happened with the concussion lawsuits. Christopher Seeger ended up being the lead counsel for the plaintiffs of all of the thousands of cases when they all got consolidated he got the gig and one of one of the key ingredients is get there as quickly as you can as somebody who has the appropriate skills and experience to be the one to lead this charge on behalf of everybody who lost money they maybe shouldn't have lost money but the dolphins weren't really trying to win games that that's the allegation i'm not saying it's true but there's enough out there to try to do it yeah yeah it will be interesting how it plays out i stand on the side of the gambler as always well, uh, Daniel Katz 
et al. Yep. Filed in the Southern I'll try District to find. of New York. Or the, I'll, uh, I'll I, try to find if I bet I, on the Dolphins. I'll, I'll try to figure it out. I really, all it takes is one person, one week, and, and with the electronic betting, it, it should be fairly easy for people to, to recreate. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, Jim Harbaugh will not be taking a job that he was not offered in the first place. We'll discuss what happened between the Vikings and the Michigan coach, who is still the Michigan coach, when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Nine coaching vacancies in the current cycle. Four of them officially filled. One of them unofficially filled unless there is a part two to the Josh McDaniels debacle of four years ago and Kevin O'Connell the Rams offensive coordinator decides after the Super Bowl not to leave the Rams or to take one of the other jobs who knows who knows it's not done until it's done we learned that after Super Bowl 52 in Minnesota between the Eagles and the Patriots McDaniels jilted the Colts left Matt Eberflus at the altar he had taken the job as the defensive coordinator there and Never showed up as the head coach. So until it's signed, until they have the press conference, Kevin O'Connell is not officially the coach of the Vikings. But that is the guy the Vikings have settled on. 36 years old. He was a third-round pick back in 2008 in the New England Patriots. And he has been coaching for a while now. Um, th- this one was strange, Big Cat, because as of Tuesday, credible reports were coming from Ann Arbor that Jim Harbaugh was going to interview for the job in Minnesota, and he planned to take it. It kind of reminds me of, and I just thought of this, and we have to push the office because we're on Peacock. It's when Michael Scott went to New York to interview for Jan's job, and he just assumed he was getting it to the point where he he gave his job to Dwight and sold yeah. his condo on eBay. And, 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 and Jim Harbaugh pulled the Michael Scott and showed up to get the job and found out he still had to interview for it, and the interview didn't go well enough for him to get it. And Jim Harbaugh went back to Michigan, and that was his Wednesday. So is that how it all broke down? Because I, you know, and I, I'd love to hear your thoughts as a Vikings fan. I, I was actually worried that the Vikings were going to hire Jim Harbaugh. I think Jim Harbaugh is a great coach. I think his resume speaks for itself. You want to say he burns people out? Guess what? Pick a, pick a name in the NFL. All these guys have qualities that are probably not normal to regular human beings. They're, they're all hyper, hyper, uh, you know, competitive and psychos when it really boils it all down. I think Jim Harbaugh is, is a very, very, very good coach. I was worried he was going to go to the Vikings. I think you guys screwed this up, whether he, he screwed up the interview or not. I was worried as a fan of another NFC North team that the Vikings were going to hire Jim Harbaugh. What say you, Mike Florio? I agree with you. And that part of me that that still has nostalgia for growing up as a football fan, growing up as a Vikings fan, my son's all in. My son was opposed to the Jim Harbaugh move. He was very opposed to it. And I was trying to explain to him, you got to understand, this guy went to San Francisco in 2011, the year of the lockout, 
had no access to his team until August and took a 6-10 and team to the brink of the Super Bowl, but for a couple of Kyle Williams muffed punts. Remember those against the Giants? Yep. They're in the Super Bowl his first year. And then the next year, the next year they lose Alex Smith to a concussion in November. They put in Colin Kaepernick in his 10th start. They took on the Ravens in Super Bowl 47. The guy got it done. And Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, the new general manager, was with Jim Harbaugh for his last two years in San Francisco. And no matter what anyone else says about Harbaugh in his last two years in San Francisco, a guy who worked there with him emerged from the experience sufficiently impressed to say, basically, if I ever become a general manager, uh, first choice, Jim Harbaugh. I, I think they did screw this up. I think they made a huge mistake, and they let other things get in the way. Just like, just like, you know, with with certain minority coaches, the idea that the interview didn't go well. Well, who gives a crap about the interview? I almost said the other word. I've come so close now, like twice a week, to saying the word other than crap. Although they do bleep crap in the UK. I don't know why. Crap isn't a swear word. I don't think it is. I think crap's okay. Crap, crap, crap. They're wondering what the hell I'm saying as they bleep us there. But I, I listen. I I think they I think they blew it because because I look at it this way. What what's the stupid Matt Damon line from the crypto pyramid scheme commercial? Fortune favors the brave. The fortune favors the brave. Do it if it doesn't work. Oh well, get somebody else. There's always going to be the next guy off of the Sean McVay assembly line. There's always going to be the next guy who's the hot coordinator. From the team that's good, he's never been a head coach. Jim Harbaugh's been a head coach for 19 years. San Diego University, Stanford, 49ers, Michigan. I did the math yesterday twice because I couldn't believe it's been 19 years. 19 years he's been a head coach. He knows how to be a head coach. We don't know that Kevin O'Connell knows how to tie his shoes. And and it's, it's, you know, you talked about the Niners going to three NFC championships out of four years. What he did at Stanford is incredible. If you look at what Stanford was before Jim Harbaugh showed up, they were Vanderbilt. They were uh, an also-rans Power 5 team that was just getting kicked and stomped every single week by competition in their conference. He made them 12-1 and their last year. Goes to San Francisco, goes to Michigan. Michigan is where it gets a little weird because there's ways of thinking about it. Expectations change. Michigan, <clears throat> excuse me, Michigan fans put... Uh, these expectations on their program that they are going to be in that upper echelon. So for the first five years there, you know, whatever it was, he was getting 10 wins, but he wasn't beating Ohio State. Well, guess what he did this year? He actually did something that people didn't ever expect him to be able to do. Get to the college football playoff. Take that extra step. He's maxed out that team. He's maxed out every team he's been on in his entire coaching career. And the only complaint that you can get for Jim Harbaugh, like haters – is that he burns people out. Who cares? Who cares? Everyone burns out in the NFL. Like, that's a crazy thing to say. Oh, well, he rubs people the wrong way after going to three out of four NFC championship games and being a fourth down play away from having a Super Bowl. You think if they win that Super Bowl, people care that Jim Harbaugh burned them out? This is is the NFL. Everyone, like, that's what the NFL is. Bill Belichick is the king of that. Bill Belichick will wear you down and wear you out to the point where they have to specifically 
find players that they believe will be able to deal with him. And the Patriots gladly deal with him. The Ravens gladly deal with John Harbaugh, who is just like Jim. Now, John does a better job of packaging it and controlling it, except when somebody kicks the 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 cord out of the wall during the Super Bowl in the second half and he loses his mind, but, but rightfully so. But you want that. You want that quality. You want Jim Harbaugh wants to come back to the NFL, not because he wants to say I'm an NFL head coach. He wants to come back to the NFL to win a Super Bowl. I, I thought the Wilfs said we're competing for championships. You know, I feel like we're going to go back to this notion in Minnesota of good enough is good enough. Just be good enough. Just be nine and eight. Just keep Kirk Cousins. Just be good enough. That's we don't want to reach for the brass ring. We're fine to just dog paddle in the shallow end of the pool. And and here's the other side of it, too. It ain't too late. I, I know that a lot of toothpaste would have to go back into the tube. It's really not too late. They could have their epiphany. They could decide because they're not bound by anything with Kevin O'Connell. Nobody signed anything. They could do the Josh McDaniels from their side. They could wake up today and say, you know what? We're, we're being we're being scared when we shouldn't be. We're being nervous when we shouldn't be. We're really not going after it. Have Matt Damon call him up and say, fortune favors the brave and hang up the phone. Maybe that's what they need. They're being too timid about this. If you want to win a Super Bowl... You go get Jim Harbaugh. It's that simple. Kevin O'Connell may become a great coach. You can hire a Kevin O'Connell anytime you want. They are falling out of the trees every year. And and please don't think that Zach Taylor is the next Vince Lombardi. You give Kevin O'Connell Joe Burrow, he's going to be doing pretty well too. Zach Taylor was nothing without Joe Burrow. Nothing. Now he didn't have a very good team either. But but I I, I just I, I don't I don't like this cookie cutter approach to hiring coaches. I agree, and, and and let's also throw it this way because we can talk about the Bears as well and other coach hiring and firings and whatnot. Right now, if you're an NFC franchise, you have to be sitting there and saying, this is our window. Tom Brady just retired. Aaron Rodgers could be in the AFC next year or retired. Like, that could happen. Uh, Sean Payton just retired. The NFC is going to be very wide open for a few years here. We talk about the AFC, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, all these guys. The AFC is going to be crowded. The AFC is going to be a dogfight. If you're the Minnesota Vikings and Aaron Rodgers goes to AFC, he goes to Denver, he goes to Tennessee, wherever he may end up, and you hire Jim Harbaugh, I, I would put anything on the line that they would win at least one or two NFC North titles in the next three years and be competitive for being the representative of the NFC in the Super Bowl. That's how it's going to work. Like the, 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 the cycle, the cycle of the NFL and how it ebbs and flows. Remember we had whatever it was when I was a kid, it was like 12 straight years. The NFC won, won the Super Bowl. And it was like every single year, you know, with the Cowboys and, and the 49ers and the Packers, all these really good teams. It feels like it's going to, the AFC is going to be that for a little bit right now. And the NFC is going to be a little bit different. They don't have the same young franchise quarterbacks. It feels like it's a 10 year of window that a lot of these franchises have. Now is your time Vikings. Now is your time. And think about the other side of it too. You're hiring a new general manager in Quezia Dofo Mensa. And I, I made this argument as it relates to Ryan Poles in Chicago, Joe Shane in New York and Quezia Dofo Mensa in Minnesota. The GM and the coach partnership 
is perhaps the most important in the organization. At a minimum, it's on the same plane as coach and quarterback. You want those two to be joined together, arm in arm, hand in hand, three-legged race, tie the legs together, and go run. If you fall down, you both fall down. If you run, congratulations, you both get a trophy and a lollipop. But the, the, the reality now is the guy that the new GM wanted didn't get the gig. So now he's got a guy that – and so, so he's going to be having the same thoughts we're having. I guarantee you he's going to be thinking, man, we could have come out of the gates here. We could, have, we could have taken this division over. There's going to be a power vacuum in the NFC for the foreseeable future. Russell Wilson may be gone, too, from the, from the conference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the best quarterbacks are going to be in the AFC. Now, we may get our ass kicked in the Super Bowl, but you've got to get to the Super Bowl before you can get your ass kicked in the Super Bowl, and the Vikings haven't been there since 1976. So I, I continue, and this gets back to what we were talking about last segment. Just because somebody amasses a crap load of money in real estate does not qualify them to understand how to run an NFL team. Does not that so so maybe corporate ownership would be in the best interest of the fans too. At least then the people who were the CEOs of the team would understand how it works and wouldn't get freaked out by some guy who seems kind of weird and kind of goofy, you know. And and Sims doesn't like Jim Harbaugh, and one of the reasons he doesn't like him when he met him, he he said, "Hey Jim, how you doing? Great with a capital G." And, and there was more to it beyond that, and the conversation ultimately fell apart, and there was an interview that went haywire because Harbaugh resented the fact that it was some basic, simple question that Sims asked him. But that's how he is. And teams will stick-handle their way around difficult personalities who are effective coaches all the time. Newsflash, most successful coaches, not named Tony Dungy, are buttholes. That's the, that's the territory in which you reside as a, an NFL or college program. I, I didn't know that Harbaugh uh, didn't like Sims. So now I, he's even higher up on my list. Now. Like, <laughs> I love Harbaugh even more. Smart. Guy. I don't he's know what, what Harbaugh thinks about Sims. Sims doesn't like Harbaugh. I know that. And he said it over okay. and over again. Yeah. I mean, Jim. okay. He, he likes we, John. We got Jim. How, how did Monday's show go after uh, another uh, uh, collapse by Sims best friend? Um, well, I, 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 he, he was, he was fine with it because I think that his best friend has, has maintained distance with Sims because <laughs> Sims has a job in the media and a big mouth. So Kyle Shanahan's very careful about what he says to Chris. But um, oh, no, he, Chris, Chris handles it well. Chris, I don't know that he's as invested with the Forty Niners as you, you would assume that he is. Um, yeah, and I don't know that he. Was I love Kyle Shanahan the too. Advanced to the Super Bowl. So, I, I like Kyle and, Shanahan, and, so I'm not. And, yeah. and, and you know, and Sean McVay's great young coach, and and look, he's got a hell of a coaching tree already. He's done well for himself, and now he gets another shot at the Super Bowl. I, the Jaguars would want, like to get a shot at the Super Bowl. Go ahead. I want to throw Go something ahead. out to you, Mike. I don't know uh, what your thoughts are, but is there a world where Sean McVay wins the Super Bowl this year and retires? Yes. Yeah, we've talked about that. Thank you for watching PFT. I suggested a week I or don't. so ago that McVeigh is – you don't think he will? I think he, he no, potentially I'm... will do the, the Dick Vermeil, the Dick Vermeil, the combo. The Dick Vermeil walked away when he was young. Dick Vermeil walked away again after he won a Super Bowl with the Rams. Slam it together. I can see Sean McVeigh chasing the money in broadcast and going to Fox, going to Amazon, going wherever, making as much, if not more money, and not, not being – 
this guy who feels like at any given moment his entire body can implode and collapse onto itself from all the stress and uh, and adrenaline that's constantly coursing through his veins. Yeah, it would it would be really mean to Stafford, very mean to Stafford. But I like the theory. I like the theory. Well, and and Vikings, another reason to think about pivoting to Jim Harbaugh. You, you, you may be in for a rude awakening the day after the Super Bowl if Sean McVay pulls the unexpected Dick Vermeil and if he hands the whistle to Kevin O'Connell, what do you do then? What do you do then? Oh, Stan Kroenke will respect the unofficial arrangements made. Sure, sure he will. Sure he will. If McVay walks and Kroenke wants O'Connell, guess what, Vikings? He's keeping O'Connell. And I, I hate to say it, but what the hell? I've said plenty of other things that I didn't want to say. I'm kind of rooting for that now. I'm kind of rooting for Spiracy it. Take that Mike. down. Here come the text messages. I didn't know you smoked cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, I'm kind of rooting for that. I'm Listen, and I, I, I'm sorry, folks. You may not like it in Minnesota. You may want everything to be calm and settled. And ownership may not want me saying it. I don't care. You still got time to make it right. Go get Jim Harbaugh. Send Brad Childress to get Jim Harbaugh. There we go. I like it. I mean, we agree. We're agreeing a lot today. But you'll be pissed if it happens. Oh, I will be pissed if it happens. Yeah, I, I, I don't want Jim Harbaugh in the NFC North. Absolutely not. All right. Uh, uh, Pete, do we go to break or do we talk Jags? You're giving me two options here. Is it up to me? Do I get to be the oligarch who decides whatever I want to do? Because I will. Let's take a break. We'll, we'll have plenty more PFT Live for you when we return right after this. There is the statement that was issued by Bill Belichick. Above that, the social media post from Tom Brady thanking Bill Belichick, a person who was not thanked. That was the big controversy on Tuesday morning. Oh, how the world has changed in 48 hours. The biggest controversy in the NFL before 3 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday was why didn't Tom Brady thank anyone from the Patriots when he thanked everyone from the Buccaneers in his social media post announcing his retirement. That changed abruptly when Brian Flores filed his lawsuit. It really is amazing that on the day of the retirement of the greatest player, the most accomplished player in NFL history, he had maybe four hours before it was dramatically overshadowed. He should retire again. I mean, it's, it's already been twice now. <laughs> Why not? I, uh, you forgot to mention that my producer, Hank, also got a shout-out from Tom Brady. Because he obviously he went to jail for Tom Brady uh, when they when they did a protest at the commissioner's office uh, during the Deflate Gate, so he also got a shout out. Um, I you know I saw. Wait, the did he did he really shout out? Did he really shout out the people yeah. who went to jail for him over Deflate Gate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had it on his Instagram stories the similar way where he was just going on his Instagram stories and saying, you know, you know, uh, you defended the wall. So he you know he he was giving everyone a little love, although. I think he regretted the initial statement because it was weird that he didn't mention the Patriots. I think probably he thought, well, I'm retiring from the box. That's why I'm going to mention the box, not realizing, hey, this is you probably need to, to talk about your entire career. Um, also, as an aside, Mike, just a total aside from all this, because I know we're going to get into fill in the blanks. I did find one wager for the class action lawsuit. I bet the under uh, Bill's Dolphins on November 17th, $2,000 it lost. I actually will not be part of the class action lawsuit, though, because I can't 
have it be in like legalese that I actually bet an under. That's bad for my brand. I don't know why I bet it, but I probably I probably thought that they were they're taking. I thought they were taking, that- and then they and then the over hit. So I I am owed two thousand dollars plus insure or uh, interest restitution, all that stuff. Throw it in there. It would be a fraud claim. You reasonably relied upon the representations being created by the Dolphins that they were tanking, so you assumed they would not score points, so you bet the under in reliance upon the fact that they would continue to play poorly, and they didn't. So it's a different class action, but it's the same idea. Uh, well, yeah. w- one other thing real quickly. I, I, can't, I can't let a mention of Deflategate go by without jamming in a plug for my book, Playmakers, that comes out March 15th because – because, yeah, because I got some new information on Deflategate, a little PS or two that will get folks who are Patriots fans very upset. And I may Uh-oh. be I may be I'm thinking about I'm thinking about because you know what you do. You, I, I did this last week. There was a Sean Payton story that we kind of threw out there like you give them a little piece of the pie and you hope they go buy the whole thing. And actually, we sold a decent number of books last week with that. The nugget about how closely uh, the the. Cowboys and Sean Payton came to coming together three years ago. I'm I'm sure you're completely unaware of what I'm talking about. But we had a story about how no, it, it almost happened three years ago. Okay, um, I got I got a Deflate Gate nugget that may drop on Sunday, and and it's in it's in the book that you have that I know you've read cover to cover, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, you're talking about the fact that Bill Belichick actually found a way to create different footballs that looked like the real footballs, and they were like complete fakes, completely different composite, and they had uh, uh, magnets in them that were attracted to the receiver's gloves. That's why Gronk was so good. Are you talking about that anecdote? It's amazing you have it memorized word for word. I am very Mm -hmm. impressed by that. It's like a a soliloquy from Hamlet. You nailed it Mm -hmm. exactly as it's written in the book. All right, let's get to fill in the blank before Pete starts yelling at me. Tom Brady will feel blank this fall without football Mm, i mean rich he's still gonna be rich i think that's probably gonna be the the, yeah i think he's well i i i know you want me to say sad like that's obviously he's probably gonna have a moment where he's sad but then he's gonna have a moment where he's like wait i have seven super bowls and i'm really rich and i have a beautiful family and i'm retired and this is awesome so i'm gonna say rich well i'm gonna say discombobulated and uh, Sims has talked before about how hard it was for him to watch football after he was no longer playing football. He couldn't do it. He was crying on Sundays. I mean, look, it's, it's all you've done for years, and now it's gone. Now, Sims didn't get to leave the game on his own terms. He had the injury in 2006, lost his spleen, nearly lost his life, and fought and fought and fought to get back just to the point where he could be on a roster. And uh, I, I respect him for continuing to push and push and push. And when it was finally over, it hit him hard. Um, for Brady and Brady said himself, I don't want to turn on the TV and watch a game and say, these guys suck. I can still do it. Well, guess what? Plenty of them suck and he can still do it. So I think he's not going to feel right. He's going to need to find something else. And maybe it's gambling. He's going to need to find something else that gives him that dopamine rush that makes him feel good, activates the pleasure center. If he wins and if he loses, gives him enough of a kick in the ass to get motivated to go out and do what he can so the next time around he doesn't lose. He's got to find something. And I, I think he's eventually going to own a team. And I think he may have the money to be the Stephen Ross owner, not the I own 
of the Pittsburgh Steelers type of an owner. I think he's got the resources and will have the resources in time to come in and be the the Bezos who takes over. Not that he's ever going to have the money that Jeff Bezos has, not that anyone will, but I think he could have enough money eventually to be the, the controlling owner of a team. That would be very interesting if he was an owner. Because there's not many owners that have that type of football expertise. Would like, you know, would he be a Jerry Jones type where he'd he's hire GM, Jim Harbaugh? He'd he'd hire Jim Harbaugh. I guarantee he you would, he'd hire but, Jim Harbaugh. But we've seen it happen. You know, uh, Michael Jordan, he, he hasn't had the best record as an owner slash GM, you know, at various points in his in his post career. So, it, yeah, I could see him owning a team. Absolutely. We will feel blank this fall without Tom Brady. It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird without Tom Brady, without Ben Roethlisberger. But I, I, I would say that just when you think, you know, we've had this discussion on part of my take, you know, I've thought about it because what did we have the last few years? We had Peyton, we had Eli, we had Phil Rivers, we had Breeze, Brady, Roethlisberger, all these guys retire that they were our Sundays for the better part of two decades. But how it always works in life, if you look at the NFL right now, it couldn't be better like what we have coming coming down the pipe. And and I think if you flash forward 20 years from now, uh, I'm probably dead. Florio's still alive. But we're saying, like, what's it going to feel like with no Burrow and Mahomes and Herbert and Justin Fields, these guys that are Hall of Famers that all won multiple Super Bowls? What is it going to feel like? And it's going to be like, well, there's going to be another crop. You know, it's funny you mentioned that 20 years from now because we were talking about you at family dinner the other night, and my wife pointed out, you know, you're old enough to be his father. And I, I'm 20 years older than you. 20 years. Mm. I think about that. You were born in 1985. Was it 85? Yeah, 85. 85? But you didn't lose your virginity until you were 35, though. <laughs> oh, let me do the math there. My son's 25. <laughs> All right. Uh all right, let's move on. Um, <laughs> I wish I, I wish I was at this family dinner. Let me oh. let, let me let me answer let me answer the question on Brady. We'll feel we'll feel no different. You're you're hitting the nail on the head. We've already had a football season without Tom Brady. 2008, he exited Week One. You know what happened? They kept playing the games. We kept watching the games. Good teams emerged. Bad teams emerged. Somebody won a Super Bowl. We didn't think twice about it. Just a couple of years ago, week two against the Seahawks, Ben Roethlisberger, elbow injury. Train keeps rolling every year. Every year, train keeps rolling. It's like the old Madden game when the ambulance actually rolled out onto the field and scraped the guys off. I I hate to say it, but that's what happens, whether it's injury or retirement or whatever. The game keeps going, and guys get forgotten quickly. You're right, but there are. We're, I think that if we weren't, if we didn't have the young talent that we have right now in the quarterback position, it would feel a lot a, more different. Because at the end of the day, what is it? What is the most important position in all of sports? It's the quarterback. And what do we tune in for on Sunday night football, Monday night football, and Thursday night football? It's the quarterback. So if we, if Tom Brady and all these guys had retired five years ago, and we were like, well, what are we? You know, what what are we working with here? It would have felt a little different. But now we have these prime time matchups where if you say Sunday night football is Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow versus Justin Herbert or Justin Fields versus whoever he's playing because he's such a draw and he's so amazing that that sells. Or Tua versus Jameis. I'm surprised you didn't wedge that in there too. Yeah. Tua, Tua. I, I watch Tua all the time. Tua not. 
The Bengals choosing black jerseys for the Super Bowl. They are the home team, even though they're playing in the Rams' home stadium. Was a blank decision. Perfect decision. This is exactly what I wanted them to do. It also forces the hand of the Rams, who have some terrible jerseys. They have some terrible, terrible combinations of jerseys to hopefully wear white. And then this becomes a very, very appealing Super Bowl matchup for the eye. There it is. So I don't know. I don't love I don't love the yellow pants. Um, maybe that's just like my anti-packer in me. Uh, but I yeah, this is a very good Super Bowl matchup now. Yeah, I was worried. I was worried yeah. that if the if the Bengals went all whites and then the Rams get to choose what they want to be and they have some like those weird gray ones, some of the blue like this is a good good Super Bowl matchup in terms of color schemes. My only regret is the Bengals didn't go black on black. I thought they were going to go black on black. That would have been awesome. And as to the Rams, those yellow pants, that shade of yellow screams out highlighter. But but the good news is the dirty dishwater uniforms will not be making an appearance. Those are awful. I know they call them bone. And Miles Simmons, who does PFTPM with me a few days a week, is a defender of the bone uniforms. I think they're hideous, and we won't have to see them. And that uniform simulates their... You know, their greatest show-offs on turf era, 99 to 2001, when they had... Well, actually, they ditched they ditched those uniforms right after they won the Super Bowl. They had the, the gold horns and a lot of the gold replacing the yellow, which is ridiculous. You just won a Super Bowl with the other uniforms, and you're ditching them? Fun fact, Mike. The Rams have been to five Super Bowls, right? They've been to five Super Bowls. So I don't know what the one before, what year, the one before the Kurt Warner, uh, you know, they went to 14, those, the one against Steelers, the Steelers, 31 okay. to 19, right. 31, 19, 1980, all five, 1979. All five. I've already been corrupted by the new Washington logo. It was the 1979 oh. season, 1980 Super Bowl. All five of the times that the Rams have gone to the Super Bowl, they've had a different logo. How about that? That's crazy. Wow. Especially because they've gone wow. to the Super Bowl in years that are very close to each other. You know what I mean? Like they cha- remember they changed their logo two years ago or whatever it was. And they also wore, it would have been all five teams as well that they would have worn different helmets for all five Super Bowls, except for the fact they wore the throwback helmets against the Patriots. Kind of a fun little fact that I just brought to, to pro football talk. Thank you. All the people in the UK, you love that fact. And, you know, the other fact is I think they currently have five logos now. I don't know what their official logo is. Everywhere you look, there's another logo. Uh, And there's one logo that – let's move on to the next one. The Pro Bowl using spot and choose for kickoffs is blank. Well, I don't even know what this means. You don't know what spot and choose is? Yeah, one, I'll tell you what it is. The Ravens proposed this last year as the way to start overtime. They're going to use spot and choose for the first half and the second half of, uh, of the Pro Bowl. One team, the team that would be kicking off, picks where the drive will begin, and the other team decides whether to be offense or defense. So, for example, the NFC will say uh, drive starts on your minus 13, on your own 13-yard line. The AFC has to decide whether to take the ball first and 10 on their own 13 or say, we'll play defense. You take the ball. That's that's one of the ways supposedly to make overtime more fair. Although I, I, I used to think it was a good idea, but I think of that Bill's Chiefs game from a couple of weeks ago. If the Bills would have said the drive starts on the one, the Chiefs would have said, we'll take the ball 
and we're going to score Matt Hasselbeck style, but they actually would have scored. So um, I like this. It's weird. It's different. I like it. It also answers the question when everyone's like, hey, what does Mike Florio do uh, for the other seven months of the year when football's not on? Like, we know Big Cat, he likes to watch all sports. He watches college basketball. He watches NBA. He watches hockey. He watches baseball. He has a life. All these things. All the... You know what? Pete just got in my ear and said, I'm not supposed to make fun of you, so I'm going to stop right you there. Can, uh, but the, hey, the, you can the make your point. You're be, fine. No, I, I, I know I what you're going to say. say would, and it, I'm a football nerd said, all year long. What I would have said is hypothetically what I would have said if I weren't, if I didn't already agree to just be nice to you this whole time, I would have said that Mike Florio decides not to watch other live sports and instead consumes rules that don't even get enacted. That's what I would have said. Hey, Hey, understanding <laughs> what's going on in the NFL requires a full commitment all year round. I'm constantly thinking about it, writing about it, talking about it, even Mike, in the low point of the offseason. I have and no look, interest look, in any other sports. And look and look how like important you knowing what spot, spot and shoes is because this segment right here, you, you were finally able to flex spot and shoes, and a lot of people are like, wow, that's incredible. Um, I was going to say something really funny, uh, and I can't remember what it was, which probably you realize you're you? it's, it's not oh. very funny. It's probably not very funny. Hey, thanks. Thanks. See, see, now you got license to be an I'm ass. We nice. only have 37 minutes nice. left. All right. The Washington commanders, the new name of the Washington football team, your, your pardon my take co-host favorite team. He seems to be dismayed. I can't tell whether it's a bit or not. Washington commanders will sound normal in how long? Welcome to my world. Never know what what's a bit or not, but uh, yeah, I I think it's I, I'm already I'm already like moved on. I, I I put out this idea on Tuesday before they actually announced it. I said, listen, they're going to announce it. People are going to freak out. People are going to get mad for about 24 hours. Then we're going to move on, and that's going to be it. I, I I couldn't even remember what the. Uh, formerly Indians had changed their name to. I thought it was the Spiders. Someone said, no, it's the Guardians. I was like, that tells you everything you need to know. I was probably mad about the Guardians if you go back and look at that day. And then I moved on. And then when they play football, we won't care. When the Washington Commanders kick off next September, we will not care what their team name is. The name doesn't bother me nearly as much as the uniforms bother me. I just, I, I don't like it. I, it just doesn't. It seems amateurish to me looking at the uniforms. It, and, and it may just be a get off my lawn vibe. I, I'm a big fan of the classic uniforms the Bears, the Packers, the Cowboys, the Raiders. I mean, it was a big deal when the Steelers went from the block letters to the more stylized letters, 1995 ish, and put, a, and put a logo on their jersey. That was a big deal. They don't have a logo on this side of the helmet, so they put a logo on this side of their jersey. That was huge. That was a major change. I like the old school uniforms. I like it when I see the Browns and Packers play. I like it when I see the Packers and the Bears play. I like it when I see the Cowboys and the Raiders play. I like those old uniforms. But Nike's constantly pressuring every team out there to change, change, change. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that point. I do think that the Washington Commanders screwed up and that the Red Hogs would have been a great name because fans can get, like, just pick an animal. You know what I mean? Fans like that. They like that. It's it's you're the hogs. You have history in that name. That was the only mistake they made. Otherwise, I don't really care. And I honestly think that we're going to just move on as soon as they start playing. 
the patch is a huge mistake and they can still fix it because they have the years that they won championships, but they went with the literal years. 1992. No, it's 1991. You won the 1991 Super Bowl. Yes, it's played in 92, but you know, it's not the 86 Bears, as Pete says. It's the 85 Bears. They won the Super Bowl in 86. So th- this is goofy. And also, I, you know, I guess they don't expect to win many more Super Bowls because if they win more, then they got to change the whole patch. Uh, and there isn't a whole lot of room there. So they're budgeting like maybe one or two more for the future of the franchise. But I, I just think I think it's, it's, it feels like it was overcooked, overworked, overcommitted. Too many people trying to justify their existence to come up with this. And, you know, I, I fully expected a team owned by Daniel Snyder to – to ultimately do the, the, the only they got Ron Rivera going for him and Jason Wright's doing a nice job, but but uh, the rest of it is still not where it needs to be. And speaking of that, it's a big day in Congress as it relates to the Washington football team investigation and the efforts of Congress to get to the bottom of it. Some former employees spoke out yesterday. We'll let you know what they had to say and more when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 